Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. Bible reading is from Matthew, Matthew 18. Uh, It's a parable that Jesus told, talking about forgiveness. That's Matthew 18, reading from verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this time, uh, at this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay back the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant, just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you, unless you forgive your brother or sister. Thanks, Ross. Uh, There is a bit going on in that passage, so let's pray and then we'll get into this together. Um, Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can be here together this morning. We thank you, God, that you are a God who speaks to us and changes us. And we pray that right now um, you would give us ears to hear and a heart to understand your word. And um, yeah, we pray for the next few minutes, particularly, that we may um, see and sense the beauty of all that Jesus has done and that that would transform our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. How do you go at forgiving people? You know, sometimes it's hard, sometimes in life it's easy. Um, A few years ago, there was an easier moment uh, for me where it came to forgiving someone. Um, I was driving my car, and I'm not telling this story because I'm I'm necessarily good. I think anyone would have done this in the same position. I'll tell you why. I was driving my car, and I pulled over uh, the side of the road um, one day, and um, as I pulled over, the car in front of me started to reverse back, and they kept reversing back until they hit me. And it was one of those moments that you're like, is this really, is this real life? Is this happening? Um, but it was a nice moment because we, we both got out of the car. He knew what he had done. I knew what he had done. And uh, the situation was under control. Um, he'd done the damage and he should pay. But now I have this dilemma. 
right? Uh, I've got this dilemma because either I make him pay for what he's done, he's hit my car, he knows that, or, or I forgive him. I release the debt and uh, I say, you know, you don't have to pay for the car. And so I'm, I'm stuck with this dilemma. Now, what I did in this moment, it was actually an easy situation for me, and here's why. The car that I was driving was my very first car. It was a Mitsubishi Magna. Uh, I had spent $2,000 on this car, and the car could tell some stories. Um, I, I don't think the car had one side that wasn't dented. Um, it was scratched up. The paint job was fading pretty much all over it. Uh, the car was falling apart. My favorite bit of this car, though, was that the roof lining was uh, falling off the top of the roof. So it was kind of a game getting into the car to see if you could see out of the car. It was that kind of car. And so in this moment, when I'm stuck with this dilemma, do I make them pay or do I forgive? It was, it was easy for me. Because if I make them pay, there's every chance they go to the mechanic and the mechanic says, you know, I can fix that, but there's no way I can let this car go back onto the road, right? That's a, that's a real chance it could happen, or I can forgive them. And, and if I forgive them, I feel good about myself. They feel good. We, you know, we get on with our lives. And so, so I forgave them. It was, it was easy. It was an easy decision. But we all know here this morning, we all know that when it comes to something like forgiveness, that it is not always easy. Uh, C.S. Lewis, uh, the author of the Chronicles of Narnia, said it like this, people think forgiveness is easy until they have something to forgive. And I think he's right. I think that's true. Uh, if you think forgiveness is easy, ev eventually in your life, inevitably you'll find yourself in a situation where it is difficult. It is a challenge for you to forgive. Because forgiveness is hard. And when we consider the fact that forgiveness is difficult, we find ourselves kind of confronted with something. There's a tension that's raised here. And it's because of the next line in the Lord's Prayer. Uh, th this is the next line that we're looking at in the Lord's Prayer where Jesus says, calls us to pray consistently and constantly, forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. That's the prayer that Jesus invites us to pray throughout our life. And the, and the question is, well, if forgiveness is difficult, how is it that we can pray this prayer? And why is it that we pray this prayer? And I suppose the other question is, how often should we pray this prayer? Like, does this, is this just forever? Or is there a time when this prayer stops being prayed? Well, this is actually kind of where we're at in this passage. This is the moment we find ourselves in this passage. You see, it began, Ross read it out for us before, it began with the disciple Peter coming to Jesus. And did you catch the first verse there? He said, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother or sister? Seven times? Now, what Peter is saying in that moment, right, is like, look at me. Um, in fact, the Jewish co context was you would forgive someone three times, but the fourth time you would not forgive. And so here Peter is doubling that and adding one to it and saying, look at me, Jesus. Is this how many times I should forgive? And Jesus says, no, my brother, you are wrong. It's not seven times, it's 77 times. Or your Bible might say 70 times seven. And the point that Jesus is making here is not on the 78th time that you must not forgive. The point that Jesus is about to say is there is no limit to your forgiveness. Now, how is that? And why is that? And, and what does that actually mean? 
Well, well, this is what the parable is going to tell us. This is what the story is that Jesus goes into. And, and a parable is a story with a deeper meaning. And, and here in this parable, there's really just two movements for us this morning. Two movements. And the first, Jesus really wants us to grasp the beauty of receiving forgiveness. So this is where we begin, with the beauty of receiving forgiveness. So, so we see it begins with Jesus saying in verse 23, The kingdom of heaven is like this. A master wants to settle his accounts. But quickly he realizes there's a man who owes him a lot of money. 10,000 bags of gold, the NIV says. Your, uh, a version in front of you might say 10,000 talents. And what Jesus is doing here is he's actually taking the, the largest amount of money, so that was a talent in the ancient world, and he's timesing it by the largest number. 10,000 was the highest Greek number. Okay, so Jesus is basically saying, think of the biggest number you can possibly think of. This is how much this servant owes. It's an unpayable amount. It's, in some ways, an infinite amount. That's the idea that Jesus is getting at here. And, and the master's collecting this debt and goes to the servant, right? You've got to pay this debt. Now, he can't pay the debt in verse 25. And so he orders the wife and children be sold to repay that debt. It's weird culturally today, but this was the cultural norm back in the day. Verse 26, the servant fell down and begs, be patient with me. And how does the master respond well, instead of just extending patience, verse 27, the master took pity on him, literally felt from his gut for this servant. He had compassion on him, and he didn't just extend forgiveness, uh, uh, patience, and compassion, but he cancels the debt. He extends forgiveness as well. Here, Jesus is beginning to tell us a story where he wants us to grasp the beauty of receiving forgiveness. And if you can picture being in this moment where you owe an infinite amount of course, there is some version of this, right? We feel some sense of beauty here when we see this story. But as we read this today, of course, we must actually sit with it for a little bit. And we must actually feel the beauty of forgiveness. We can't just see it and think how good would it be to be that servant, but we have to grasp this for ourselves. In fact, the question's almost this morning, do you see the beauty of receiving forgiveness? I mean, when you think of forgiveness and the fact that God offers forgiveness, do you think that is just the best thing ever? And if, if we don't, how do we? How do we sense the beauty of forgiveness? Well, one way that Jesus wants us to feel the weight of this is to think about and spend some time thinking about debt particularly the debt that our sin causes against God. So, so here's the way that the Bible puts it. The Bible speaks of sin like this idea. Sin is when we ignore God or reject God. And uh, sin is when you, you do the wrong thing, but you also don't do the right thing. And before the holy and perfect God, right? And we reflect on this, Father in heaven, holy is your name. Before God in heaven, who is holy and perfect, our sin has created a debt, now, we get the idea of this, I think, relationally. You know, when someone wrongs someone else, we might not think that they've created debt, but we do speak like this, you know. If you think about it, we want them to pay, right? That's what we want to happen when someone wrongs someone else. And so there's a sense when one person wrongs another, there is an emotional debt that, that unfolds there. Well, before God, because we've ignored Him and rejected Him, we have a spiritual debt. There's a spiritual debt against the living God. Now, the, the question is this morning, how bad is the debt? Right? That's what we've got to sit with. How bad is the debt? Or to ask it another way, how bad is my sin really? Now, it's, it's funny because when you think about this culturally here in Australia, people don't really think they're that bad. 
You know, I mean, if you, you were to go up to Garden City in a moment and you were to, to say to people, right? You go up to people and you say, okay, rank yourself out of 10. 10 is perfect and one is the purest evil. Where would you put yourself in that ranking system? Or let's think about it this morning, right, for us. Now, we're not going to raise hands, so, you know, you can breathe easy, but where would you think you sit in this out of 10? 10 is perfect, one is pure evil. Where do you sit here? You know, if you're like the average person, here's what the average person, I think, thinks here, particularly this morning. I'm pretty good, right? You know, if average is five, I reckon I'm a six or a seven. Is that the thought that's going through your head? I mean, that, that's where I'm sitting, personally. If we've got a high view of ourselves, then we, we would say, oh, you know, yeah, sure, maybe we'd say verbally six or seven, but deep down, I'm an eight or a nine. Um, that, that's, no, I reckon I'm up there. If we, if we have a low view of ourselves, maybe below average, two to four, we'd sit somewhere there. But I reckon the majority of us fit six or seven out of ten here this morning. But, but here in Australia, do you realize this? No one says they're ten. You know, like, no one says a 10. In fact, we have a cultural saying that excuses the fact that we're not a 10. No one's perfect. Right? We're essentially saying that to excuse the fact that I'm not perfect. So no one's perfect, no one's a 10, but also no one's a 1. You know, I mean, think about it, right? All the stuff happening in the world right now, the, the terrorisms, the, the murder, everything that's going on, the purest form of evil, I'm not a 1. Okay, so, so, so we then fit between two and nine, but the majority of us are six or seven. Now, th there are a couple of problems with this, if this is where we sit. There, there are a couple of problems if we all sit between two and nine. The, the first one is, I think to get to the number that we've gotten in our hearts, we're, we're, we're deceiving ourselves a little bit. Okay, so, so I'll just tell my story, and, you, and if you resonate, that's cool. Um, but, but I reckon I'm a six or seven, but to get to six or seven, I am ignoring my worst. Right? Like, I am ignoring myself at my absolute worst. I'm forgetting about that. I'm deceiving myself. You know, when you turn the stress up in my life or the tiredness or the exhaustion, you know, there, there are things in my life that I would not, I, like, I do not want anyone to know because, because I am ashamed of that. And yet, when you get to six or seven out of ten, what I'm doing to get to that point is I'm ignoring those things, right? Now, I'll excuse that because I was tired or stressed or exhausted. To get to a number like six or seven, you actually have to ignore your worst bits, the bits where you are really bad. But here's the other problem with it, right? It's not just the fact that we're ignoring our bad bits. Here's the truth. If we think we're only a six or a seven out of ten, we don't think our debt is that bad, but the truth is because of the nature of who it is against, our debt is really bad. Right? You see, this is not just, we are not just sinning, we are not just ignoring and rejecting anyone, we are ignoring and rejecting the perfect and holy God, the God who created you and made you. And the fact that our sin comes up against God means the debt is infinitely bad. Now, again, I think we actually grasp this in some sense that actions have different debt depending on who they are against. So, so let me explain, right? Again, let's picture being at Garden City. If, you know, if we're going there after, after church. And I'm at Garden City and I'm sitting down eating my lunch. If a stranger comes up to me, okay? Now, you've got to picture this. You've got to see this. If a stranger comes up to me and they sit down, you know, I'm at a table and they come over to me and they look me straight in the eyes and they say this. A stranger says this to me. You are the worst. And I don't love you anymore. And 
I'm not going to spend any time with you. If a stranger says that to me, how hard would that be for me to forgive them? Right? Not hard at all. In fact, there is no emotional debt there. And I'm kind of thinking as they're looking at me, are you meant to be looking at someone else? Right? Like, I think they've got the wrong person. But let's say it's not a stranger. Right? What if it's your, what if it's your best friend? What if it's the group you hang out with? What if it's your spouse or your kids? What if when you get home today, the people you love the most look you in the eyes and say, you are the worst, and I don't love you anymore, and I'm not going to spend any time with you? Now, do you, do you see? It's exactly the same words, but it's a very different debt. The second has an emotional debt that's hard to bounce back from. We grasp, practically speaking, that our words have different debt depending on who they are against. Now, here's our problem. Our debt against the living God means that we have a real big problem because we have said to the living and holy God, you are the worst. I don't love you anymore. I'm going to do my own thing. And we do that every single time we ignore God or reject God or we take his word and we shift it to make it what we want. Or we think that all God is interested in is, is in some sort of sense our religious duties. Or, or we just live our life day in, day out, just not even acknowledging God. And, and what happens is because of this and because of who it's against, the debt is so much greater than we could ever imagine. In fact, what Jesus is saying here is you take the biggest number and you divide it and, and you times it by the biggest amount, that's how big your debt is. It's infinite, right? So, see, our sin comes up against an infinite God, which means our debt is infinitely large. It's an unpayable debt. And this is where we all sit before God. We have an unpayable debt that we can't do anything about. It's so large and so big, and, and this is where we sit before the living God. Now, the question is obvious, right? I think the question is, okay, so how is this beautiful? How does this help us see the beauty of this? Well, well what we've got to do is we've got to sit with the debt to understand the beauty. And we grasp the beauty as we see three implications when we get the bigness of the debt, okay? So the first implication of this is this. When you get that your debt is infinitely large and unpayable, the first thing you begin to realize is that your works can't save you. You know, I mean, you consider the idea that I can do enough good things to be good enough for God. Think about that idea. If my debt is unpayable, my good works don't do anything to pay off the unpayable debt. I mean, in some ways, it's kind of like this. I mean, if you could picture, right, if a couple owns $500,000, if they owe $500,000 on their house, and they walk up to the bank, and uh, they walk up to the bank with a swagger in their step, you know, like they're really good. They've got everything under control, and they're going to make some real repayments to that debt. And then they get to the bank, and they drop two 10-cent coins down on the table. What's the banker going to say to them? They're going to say, I don't think you get the debt. I don't think you understand. This does nothing for the debt. Now, now, this is the truth when it comes to us and God. Our debt is unpayable. It's an infinite amount. And when we think our good actions, our good works pays off that debt, what we are doing to God is we're saying, here's 10 cents. It's, it's crazy. Because our debt is unpayable. We cannot be good enough for God because our debt is so big, because God is so holy. We've sinned against an infinite God. So the first thing is, 
we realize good works can't save you. Now, there is a freedom here. There is a release here of burdens here when we realize this. And, and it is beautiful to realize this. The first implication, good works can't save you. The second implication is this. If we want the debt to be cleared, someone has to pay. Okay, so this is, this is the truth. If you think about this parable, the master says to the servant, your debts are canceled. And so in some ways, the debts for the servant are canceled, but the truth is whenever debts are canceled, someone still has to pay. I mean, you consider the car, right, at the start. If someone hits my car and I get out of my car and forgive them, there's not like a built-in system in the universe where the car is going to magically get better. No, I'm, I'm absorbing the cost. I'm essentially saying, I'll forgive you, but I'm going to pay. Now, before God, if our debt is infinite and we want our debts to be cancelled, someone must pay. And the beauty of this is, this is what Jesus did. The whole reason he came into the world and would die on a cross, he was dying to take our place, to pay the debt. I mean, you, you think of a few weeks ago, we uh, did your will be done, your kingdom come, your will be done. And in our growth groups, we looked at that passage in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus cries out, Father, take this cup from me, but not my will. The Garden of Gethsemane, before he's about to die, he says, take this cup from me. And what Jesus is saying in that moment is he's speaking about the cup of wrath, the image from the Old Testament that the holy God has been storing up the debt in a cup, a cup of wrath. And Jesus says, take this cup from me. If there's any other way that the people can go free, that the debt can be cancelled, Make it happen. But of course, we know what happened. There was no other way. And, and Jesus would go to the cross and he would die on the cross. And, and as he was brutally crucified, and as he cried out, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? In that moment, what Jesus was doing was he was dying so that we wouldn't have to. He was paying the debt so that our debt could be canceled. Wherever there is forgiveness, someone has paid. And the truth is, before God, if we want forgiveness, someone must pay. But this is what Jesus did. So, so the second implication when we understand the debt is works can't save me. Jesus does and does pay the debt. But the third thing is this. Big debts being cleared results in big responses. Okay, so, so this is true, and I think we get this again. When big debts are cleared, it results in big responses. So let's picture this. After the service, if someone hands you an envelope and says in that envelope, it, within this envelope, one of your debts has been cleared, how are you going to respond to that? You don't know how you're going to respond to that, right? Not until you open it up and see the debt. So, so right, let's picture it, right? So they give you the envelope and, um, you know, you open it up and it's $3 for a coffee. How are you responding to that coffee? Thanks. You know, maybe you'll even stand in the coffee line together. Small debt, small response. But what if you open that envelope up and, you know, it's not $3, it's 20 grand for a car. And they go, here's a new car, here's your debt being paid. How much is that? How are you responding to that? Your response to the 20 grand is going to be different to the $3, right? We get this. Small debt cleared, small response. Medium debt cleared, medium response. But what if after the service, someone gives you an envelope and within that envelope, there's a million dollars and they say, go and you know, pay off a quarter of your house or whatever it is these days. <laughs> Pays off some houses, right? So, but can you picture it? A million dollars. How's your response? Bigger than the coffee? Bigger than the car? Right, of course it is. 
Because we get this practically big debt being cleared always results in big responses. Now, this is why we must spend some time thinking about the debt that we owe the living God. It's, it's because it's not a small debt. And yet, it is possible to treat what Jesus has done for us like it's a coffee. Right? I mean, it's possible that we've come here this morning and we're looking at the cross of Jesus Christ and we've said, thanks for that. It's possible to treat it like it's a car. You know, there's a little bit more gratitude. We, we say thanks, there's a little bit more gratitude, but ultimately it hasn't changed that much. But what would it actually look like for us if we grasped that the debt we owed the living God was an unpayable amount, an infinite amount, something we could never pay ourselves? Do you see, if we grasp the nature of the debt, it's going to result in a big response. So this morning, do you grasp how big your debt before the living God is? Do you have a sense of that? Do you have a sense that you could not pay it yourself? Do you grasp that it, it should result in a big response? And if you're sitting there and you're thinking, I actually don't know how, how much I value the cross of Jesus and forgiveness. Well, one way to tell is, what does your life say about that? Are you giving Jesus a little bit? Is it a little response? It might be because you think it's a little debt. Big debts cleared always result in big response. So when we're thinking about forgiveness and this line, forgive us as we forgive those who have sinned against us, we must understand the first aspect of that, forgive us. We grasp we have a big debt. But here in this parable, Jesus doesn't just want us to grasp the beauty of receiving forgiveness. He knows there is a challenge in responding in forgiveness. And this is what we see as we keep reading. So, so the servant gets his debt cleared. And then in verse 28, he goes out and he finds that a fellow servant owes him 100 silver coins. Now, I love this number of 100 silver coins because, of course, compared to the first number, it's nothing. But in and of itself, it's not nothing. Do you know, it's actually, in modern terms, it's like 27 grand. So it's not nothing in and of itself. There's still a challenge here, you know, and we could feel the weight of that. Imagine having to clear that debt. So what does he do when he finds out his servant owes him? Well, he grabs him and begins to choke him. That's not really what we were expecting, but there he goes. He does that, and he says, pay back what you owe me. And then in verse 29, the, the servant responds in the same way, be patient with me, and I'll pay it back. So what does he do? When, 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 when asked for patience, does he respond with patience and compassion and forgiveness? No, what he does is he refused. And he went off and had the man thrown in prison until he could pay the debt. Jesus here is speaking of the challenge of responding in forgiveness. And that's what this servant is going through. And, 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 and as we're reading it today, I think all of us in the room can see that's a wrong response. Right? Like we can all see that. He had a debt that was owed him. He choked the man and put him into prison. That is not a good response. We can all sense this is a bad response. Five seconds ago, he had an infinite debt cleared. Now he's chasing up a little bit, 100 silver coins, 27 grand. He's chasing that up and he gets him thrown into to prison. It's a bad response. All of us can see that that's a bad response, right? We can all see that. But here's the problem. We are the servant in the story. 
The servant's not talking about everyone else. We are that servant. I am that servant. Peter is that servant. You are that servant. I mean, think about it. How do you go when you are the one who owes the debt? How do you go when you do that? Do you know what, what for me, when I owe the debt, I expect forgiveness. Do you know? Like, this is such my heart. I expect forgiveness. You know, I, I'm, and, and, and usually it's because there's a story, right? There's a story to my, my debt. So, so I'm sorry I'm, I was tired. I'm sorry I was exhausted. I'm sorry I was at the end of myself. I'm sorry I, that was a bad moment. I'm sorry I didn't mean it. There's a story to what I did. Or sometimes there's not even a sorry. Sometimes it's, it's just the excuse. You know, it was, it was my past. It was the way that I was taught growing up. It's just the way it was. I just did that. And, and do you know what? When, when I'm the one who owes the debt, do you know what? I want forgiveness. I expect forgiveness. This is built into the human heart that that's what we want. We expect it. But the truth is, it's far harder to extend forgiveness than it is to receive it. It's a beautiful thing to receive patience and compassion and kindness. But it is hard when we have been wrong to extend patience, compassion and kindness. The servant in the story is all of us. And the servant in the story may have been technically right. He was owed 27 grand. He was owed that money. But what Jesus is saying is, theologically, he was not right. Before God, he was not right. Because what he should have done is responded with forgiveness. Because big debts being cleared always result in, in, in big responses. He should have responded with forgiveness from the heart, clearing his debt. Now, let's be clear with what this is not. Because I know that when we read this stuff, we want to, we want to put caveats to it and stuff like that. So this is not saying that sin does not have consequences. In fact, the passage just before this was on church discipline and speaks of how church leaders will at times ask people to change or leave the church because of their sin. Sin has consequences. The passage after this is on divorce. So it's saying within a marriage, there are times where sin will result with consequences and in divorce. This is not saying that the government will overlook your sin because you've, forgiven, you've been forgiven in Jesus. No, there are consequences to, to sin. This is not saying there are not consequences. This is also not saying that reconciliation must happen. I mean, reconciliation is a different thing. It requires two parties. Forgiveness, what Jesus is speaking about is personal forgiveness from the heart, releasing the debt. This is not saying that. This is also not saying that you must forget the sin, which might mean in certain circumstances, in certain circumstances, going back into situations where you're in danger. This is not saying that. So what is it saying? Well, Jesus is saying, if you've received forgiveness, if you've had your debts cleared before God, then it must result in our hearts clearing others' debts. And, and this is not a light thing. And Jesus knows this. And that's why he finishes the way that he finishes. You see, in verse 32... The master calls the servants in and says, You wicked servant, I cancelled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? 
In anger, the master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. The servant in this story used the master. He was not transformed by the master. You know, it reminds me of that line. You know, we are saved by faith alone and grace alone. We could not pay our debts. But the truth is, a saving faith is never alone. You know, it's not that if he forgived the servant, he earned forgiveness from the master. No, he got forgiveness and that was supposed to transform because big debts being cleared results in big responses. However, of course, there are some big things in this passage that we need to sit with for a little while. And I know there are things that we don't really like sitting with for a little while. Now, the cultural context helps a little bit, but not completely. So when he's talking about throwing them in prison to be tortured, that was the cultural context of the day. That's what happened in the Roman Empire, right? That's what happened back in the day. Today, you might say that, that they'd be thrown into the harshest prison for a life sentence. But it doesn't really solve all the issues because what we don't really like in this passage is to sit with this idea that we have a God who is holy and perfect and righteous and just, And what that means is he's righteously angry towards evil. And there are consequences for those whose debts are not cleared. I don't think we like sitting with that. I don't like sitting with that. But we need a God who is righteous in justice and will hold evil in account. Do we not need that? Of course we need that. We want that. Every single one of us wants that. I mean, you consider what's happening in the world. We want a God who sees the terrorism. We want a God who sees the the abuse. We want a God who sees the innocent bombings of innocent people. We want a God who sees the modern slave trades. We, We want a God who sees all of the evil that exists in the world. I mean, you think of in the last few, in the last month, in Queensland, the names of sexual abuse um, perpetrators were released. We, we see that stuff and it makes us feel sick. And we want a God who sees all of that and will deal with it. We need a God like that, do we not? And the truth is, we have a God. We have a God that does that. But of course, the problem is this. The problem is we stand on the mountaintops screaming, they must pay but we don't want to think about the idea that I too must pay. And yet, if we see, and this is uncomfortable, but I have a debt as infinite as a terrorist has a debt, which is infinite. That's my situation before God. And so if I'm in that position, and if I grasp that Jesus looked at me and instead of saying, you must pay, said, I will pay. Then what Jesus says is that must result in me looking at others and saying, you must not pay. Big debt being cleared results in big responses. And if we grasp forgiveness, it must transform our hearts. Now, I know that this is hard. I know that this might be the hardest thing we have to do. Some of us, some of us this morning are sitting here with debts that have been done against us 
that, that are so big and heartbreaking. I just want to say, if, if this is you here this morning, just know that you're not alone. The only thing I've found true in ministry over the years is realizing that everyone has a story that will bring you to your knees. You're not alone in the middle of this. And, and we're not talking as if this is an easy thing. This is a difficult thing. Jesus knew that. You know, you think of Jesus on the cross when he was dying on the cross. Remember his words, Father, forgive them for they don't, they don't know what they're doing. When, when Jesus calls us to this, he knows how difficult it is. And yet it still must transform us in this way. Now, there are a couple of things I think that help in the middle of this. And we're going to do this today. We're going to think about this in a story and then in the Lord's Supper. But the first, I'd love to share a story because there, there is a story that I've heard. This pops up in um, the Alpha Course in w- one of the weeks. And uh, it's a story of a, of a woman who extends forgiveness. Her name's Corrie Temboom. She, um, she was a prisoner in the Jewish concentration camps in Ravensbrück in uh, World War II. And Corrie Temboom um, had the experience where she was a Christian and she made it through alive. And in 1947, Corrie uh, was speaking at a church in Munich about her Christian faith. And uh, what she said was when she was speaking, she began to notice as she was speaking that there was someone in the service there that was a guard from Ravensbrück. She remembered him. And uh, in that moment, she remembered all the things that, that came back to her from Ravensbrück, uh, the, the pain, the torture. Her sister died under the brutality of those concentration camps. And, and this is her journey. So this is what she has said when it comes to her journey in working through this. She said this, It came back with a rush. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. And he was pushing his hand out to shake mine, and he said, a fine message. You, you mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk. I was a guard there. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian. And I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things that I did there. Will you forgive me? I stood there, I whose sins had again and again to be forgiven and could not forgive. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? The soldier stood there expectantly, waiting for me to shake his hand. I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever had to do, for I had to do it. I knew that, standing before the former SS man, I remembered that forgiveness is an act of the will, not an emotion. Jesus, helped me, help me, I prayed. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And I thrust out my hand. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. Corrie ten Boom would go on to say, you've never touched the ocean of God's love like when you forgive your enemies. Now, I love how honest she is, how real that is. It's difficult. Forgiveness was the hardest thing, she said, I ever had to do. 
And yet, she's, and she says some good stuff there, right? Like it's an act of will before it's an emotion. You know, that's a profound truth. That could, we could sit on that for a little while. But, but what she realized is because she had experienced the forgiveness of Jesus, then she must extend that forgiveness. And so the act of will first, and then she prayed and God helped her with the emotion. But I just love that quote, you've never touched the ocean of God's love like when you forgive your enemies. And I love the truth of that because what she's saying is when you realizing and understanding the debt that people have done against you, in that moment when you release that debt, what you are doing is you're touching on the ocean of God's love because you're seeing and looking to our God and Savior who when he looked on our debt, released us from that. And as we forgive our enemies, it's there that we can swim in the ocean of God's love. And, and this is why we pray, Father, forgive us of our sin as we forgive those who have sinned against us. It's hard, it's challenging, it might be a lifelong journey for us, but God calls us to this. Now here's, here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to do the Lord's Supper. And the reason for this is this is a moment to participate in and practice forgiveness. You know, uh, Jesus in Matthew chapter 26, so a few chapters time, Jesus would say this to his disciples just before he would go and die. He would say this, he took the bread and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and he said, take this and eat of it, this is my body. And there's a sense that when we eat the bread, we remember that it was Jesus who paid the debt instead of us. But then look at verse 27, it says this, then he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, for what? For the forgiveness of sins. The Lord's Supper is a moment for us to practice and participate in the fact that we have had our debts being cleared. But this morning, before we're going to do this, this morning, there's, there's a couple of things here. The first one is, this morning, there might be some of us here today who never realized that our debt was such. You know, maybe you came here this morning thinking you're a pretty good person. And before God, surely at the end of time, he would look at you and say you were good enough. But perhaps this morning, there's some of us here in this room who are realizing for the first time that they actually aren't good enough and that the debt is infinite, it's unpayable. Today, if, you, if this is you, if this describes your experience, then what we want to invite you to is we want, you, we want to invite you to experiencing the beauty of receiving forgiveness because when we trust in Jesus, in his death and resurrection, we know that the debt has been cleared. And so we want to invite you, come and take the Lord's Supper with us. Come and take the bread and the juice and celebrate the fact that Jesus clears the debt. That walking down the front, it's a moment of saying, my old life is gone, the new has come. We're entering into the new relationship with Jesus. And if that is you here today, and, and this is the step that you take, maybe for the first time, would you, would you make sure you talk to someone about this? as you participate in trusting in Jesus, realizing your debts can't save you, talk to someone about this. Don't leave today without talking to someone. If you're here today, though, and you're not sure yet about Jesus, we love you and we love having you here in our service. And so what we would ask in this next moment is please don't come and take the bread and the juice because this is a public thing that we're saying, I trust in the, the death and resurrection of Jesus. And it's actually totally fine not to come and take the bread and the juice. In fact, we would encourage you not to. 
we would encourage you just to watch and soak it up. For the rest of our church, we don't judge those who come forward or don't come forward. This is a personal response to Jesus. Okay, so, so that's the first thing. But the second thing is this. If you're here today and you trust in Jesus, you trust in his death and resurrection as the only thing that pays your debt, this morning my prayer is that the Spirit of God would such wash us that there would be a movement among us of forgiveness, that we deal with the unforgiveness in our heart. That when we come forward and take the bread and the juice, that we are not just saying, forgive us. But we are saying, forgive us. As we forgive those who have sinned against us. So whether it's before you come and take the bread and the juice, or after you take the bread and the juice, and sit in your chair, let's reflect on the debts that people owe us, and the debt that God dealt with, and let's, let's deal with that before the living God.